Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Chef Ahmed. Today is another fantastic day for an interview because I've got Dawn Katie here. She's a woman who helps others to heal themselves. And that's a beautiful, beautiful position to be in. Now, like so many of my guests and probably also like myself, you have to be in the darkness to appreciate the light and to continuously work on yourself towards more light, towards becoming brighter yourself as a torch, it may be in the darkness of others. But that is because we have gone through hell and back and Dawn is no different here. So I'm incredibly humbled and honored that I've got Dawn on my show to actually talk about her darkness, which had a lot to do with uh, opiates and opiate addiction, painkiller addiction, and how she is now living a life so beautiful that yesterday becomes jealous of today. Um, so <laughs> I want to know how she did it. Dawn, welcome to my show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> <laughs> now, your, your story started actually way back um and normally you never ever ask a woman about her age but it's really really hard for you not to because <laughs> because there is such a long time frame and in order to put it right so let's let's let the cat out of the sack um how young are you nowadays <laughs> I'm 42 and I'll be 43 very, so, very soon. <laughs> oh, very nice. Well, okay, I'm 56 and there's this, I'm sure there's somewhere a mistake because I certainly don't feel like it. But it, for you, it is important that we actually say that because when we go back uh, to where it all started, that's a hell of a long time ago. That's quarter of a century ago and then some. Um, let's go to, to, when, to the younger younger you. To the, to the girl you, maybe yeah. the girl uh, on day minus one year, day zero minus one year. How were you uh, um, as a child? I was a very sickly child. Um, mm. It started from the age of one where I had reoccurring ears, nose, throat, then it going to my stomach and then kidneys. So I've always been one of those sickly children. And it started, and I didn't realize how young I was until I spoke to my grandma. And she said it was about age one is when you started to get quite sick. Mm. So it was lots and lots of things like pneumonia, just it'd be just one thing after another, after another, after another. And that would be my life up until about five years ago. That I would Crikey. just get sick all of the time. There'd be something wrong. Whenever I hear something like that, um, automatically my mind travels towards a more systemic problem rather than, okay, there's a problem with the ear because she's got ear infection, mm -hmm. a problem with the lung where she's got a lung infection. But mm -hmm. with you, that sounds from the word go more like autoimmune, or it sounds yeah. like, um, like some way that your body is screaming out messenger, messengers, messages yeah. that, um, that maybe normal doctors did not hear. That's um, right, yeah. So, but then again, there was the day, the first day that you were sick, so the doctor saw you, treated the problem, mm -hmm. and everyone thought, yeah, great, that's mm -hmm. it. And was that sort of the, the sequence of events? Um, something new happened, got treated, and yeah. went on. Did you have a family physician, a GP? Yeah, I had... Um, we had a GP and I had him until I was about 18, 19, and we kept going to see the same guy. And the dots weren't being joined up. And what I actually realized in retrospect when I was about mid-20s was almost like there was this not being seen and not being heard and not being understood. And this was a pattern that I'd lived through throughout my entire life from my parents and from the doctors and from the specialists and from the surgeons. It was almost like this pattern that I was creating of not being heard and understood. So even though I would explain what was going on and I knew on a deep foundational level, there was something more to what I was experiencing than symptoms. It was almost like I was completely ignored and I was invisible is the sense that I got. I felt invisible most of my life, which led to self-hatred. 
So that was the path of, and it, that's the accumulation of the diseases and the illness and the opioid addiction, because I just ended up wanting to, you know, no longer exist and feel my existence. Before we go to the tablets, tell me what other uh, problems did you have from a medical point of view? You were pointing to the ears, you were saying yeah. lung infections. These yeah. are common things as, as small children. Yeah. Then when you grew older, when you became a teenager, what yeah. uh, things did, did raise their ugly head? So there was a bowel disease, so it was irritable bowel syndrome, ulcerative colitis, and then there was a kidney disease. So it was just evolving each time and what was always blamed was the ulcerative colitis so arthritis in my chest that's colitis um the bowel inflammation of the bowel so ibs sorry irritable bowel syndrome that was blamed on the colitis then the kidney disease was blamed on the colitis. Um, the 1.3 centimeter kidney stone was blamed on colitis. Everything was blamed on this bowel disease, but I didn't believe it. I believed that my body was so sick and so ill that it was just screaming out. And I had this awareness of it when I was 22 years of age, but I wasn't may I, heard. Yeah. May I ask you when you when you turned into a woman when your your mm -hmm. menstruations occurred? Um, did were they painful? Were they? Did you yeah, have a lot of trouble? Yeah, exceptionally painful. Yeah, I was fifteen, so I was quite late in mm. any kind of development. So I still had the boy figure up until I was seventeen, mm. and then suddenly I just overnight turned into a woman. My periods <laughs> came quite late; they came yeah. at fifteen, but yeah. it was just yeah. horrendously heavy and horrific pains oh. again and, not picked up it was uh, put her on the pill that'll sort it out uh, and i refused the pill because i just felt it wasn't the right thing for me hmm. headaches no i never really suffered from headaches mm, cool that wasn't a thing i suffered from cool cool cool, cool. um because it is i'm trying as a doctor to to sort of think through okay if you were to present to me what would mm -hmm. i have thought 10 years, 15 years ago, yeah. what would I think now? Mm -hmm. And it is this combination that you describe of bowel problems and menstrual problems. They are so common in women. And we hunt then for things like endometriosis and we hunt for, for we might do colonoscopies to see what's going on in the bowel. And we might find an, an, some irritation, some form of colitis. Colitis means there's an irritation of the bowel itself, the large bowel in this case. Um, so... It's actually what you're describing in my clinical practice, working with anesthetizing for uh, surgeons who work in gynecology and in general surgery. It's actually quite common that we see milder versions of your story um, yeah. out there. So it's actually very, uh, you're not a ones off. On the contrary, yeah. there are many, many young women who are going through a similar, um, similar story. And as you quite rightly say, they are many women, take it for granted. Yep, that's me. Okay, yes, I have got problems. I can't actually, I always want to know where is the next toilet because I might have to go really right now and something like that. Were you like that? Did there, was there an anxiety component coming in? So the interesting thing about um, what I went through is I actually was recorded as having the worst case of colitis seen at that point. <laughs> So they did, they did clinical trials on me wow. and I wasn't, so it was one extreme to the other. So when I was in a flare up, it would just be constant bleeding. Ah. And at one point it was between 60 and 70 times a day. And that almost killed me because I ended up having to have multiple blood transfusions. Ah. Ah. And then the other end of the scale was I didn't go to the toilet for nearly three weeks right. and the horrendous pain of that, I've been doubled over and not being able mm. to walk. So it was like I'd go from one extreme to the other. Mm. So I didn't get the diarrhea. I just got the bleed, the intense bleeding. Right. And then it would then go into intense constipation. Let's, we need now to be uh, clearly distinguishing for the viewers and listeners. Um, what you've got, you had two diagnoses. One is IBS irritable yeah. bowel syndrome which That's has right. no bleeding it has yeah. just your bowel does its own thing um often with diarrhea often with pain etc but there's no bleeding whilst the colitis um these are the, the things the ulcerative colitis or or other 
systemic bowel problems like that, they are really inflaming the bowel lining to such a degree that it breaks down and blood seeps out out of the blood vessels into the bowel and you pass it uh, in either yeah. frank, frank blood or in some form of darkened, darkened uh, stools. Mm-hmm. So this, these are so that you had two things going on, and obviously right. one was really, really wow. Okay, yeah. boy. Now, um, pain it has been already there. You've got your your heavy menstruations and the pain. You've got the pain from the bowel. The problem, of course, is we want to help as doctors, mm. and we want to do the right thing. And we always look at what can we do to treat the underlying cause, and when we cut, when there is nothing that we can or when we need to buy time, then we add in maybe stronger painkillers um, to help you out there. What was the journey there with you? How did you end up on stronger pain medications? So it was actually a completely different situation that led me to that. But what happened was with the colitis, I would um, eventually almost die and my organs were going to failure. And I was in hospital and having blood transfusions and I kind of wasn't aware of what was going on. But I had this clear knowing that I wasn't to get my bowel removed and I was being deeply pressured by the doctors and the mm. surgeons in the yeah. UK to have my bowel removed because they said it's going to perforate and kill me. Wow. But I had this deep knowing, Stefan, that I was meant to keep my bowel. I wasn't to have it removed. So what I would do is I would sit there and I'd talk to my bowel and I'd say, I know that you're healing and I know that you're well. And this was a profound message that came through was... I was to talk and communicate with my bowel and stay in this absolute knowing that my bowel can heal itself. Because what was being told was, you're going to die, your bowel's going to perforate and it's going to kill you. And if you don't have it removed, it's either going to turn cancerous or it will perforate. There is no other option. But I knew that this wasn't true. And this was from years of not being heard and understood. I mean, at the beginning of the diagnosis, I went to go see a gastroenterologist and he actually said that I was making this up, that I was um, psychologically making up all of this pain. I was making up that I was seeing blood. He refused to do a colonoscopy and he discharged me and I was under him for three years. And (laughs) six months later, (laughs) six months later, I would end up in hospital almost dead from having a major flare up where I was going to the toilet over 60 times a day and I collapsed in the bathroom at work and have I had to go to the hospital accident and emergency they call it in England and have three blood transfusions at that moment in hospital because I was almost dying so that's the interesting thing and this is why I share my story is that if you know inside that there is something fundamentally wrong with you please do not ignore that The doctors don't always know. They just go from the average of when these symptoms show up, it it should look like this. And sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes our symptoms look completely different and we come up with different things. And I don't know why that had to happen at that moment. I do now, but in that moment, I didn't understand why I wasn't being heard or believed, but it was just a pattern that I'd created in my life of not being heard, understood and believed. So I created that pattern and the doctor played the role in that for me in order for me to take a step back and take responsibility for my health. And that's the deep lesson that I learned through this experience. We can't give our power away to other people. We know more than anybody what's going on inside of our bodies and and doctors and nurses and surgeons and myself and clinical practitioners are there to guide you and help you with the tools and the techniques that are going to get you through there or the surgeries that are required, but we can't give our power away to them. It's our responsibility and it's our job to care for our bodies and love them. 100% agreed. 100% agreed. And I I accept it uh, fully from you now because here you are um, having gone through a, through a dramatic transformation that we soon come to talk about and you have developed insights that are quite rare. Often enough, when patients come with strong beliefs and strong statements like you do, for us as doctors, I ask, well, where does that come from? Uh, Tell me more about your belief. And often it turns out to be a heap of bullshit. 
Okay. Oh, my auntie's cousin so and so has read it somewhere. You yeah. think I'll fall? Yeah. <laughs> I go, and that's again and then again and again. So I see that often when it comes to the issues related to anesthesia. Let's say someone has a knee joint replacement, and I suggest, okay, we will do a spinal anesthetic and then give you either heavy sedation or a mild general anesthetic on top of it so that you don't need to be aware of what's going on. Oh, no, no, no. Step me in the back. Someone ended somewhere in a wheelchair. Then you actually talk them through it. Okay, what are the pros? What are the cons? Why do we recommend it? And, oh, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So... In all fairness, so only because someone comes with strong opinions, please listen, listen, about mm -hmm. ask, ask the questions, That's ask right. the questions. That's what, what is so important. And if you feel that you'd not listened to, then maybe that particular practitioner is not for you. So maybe let me re rephrase what you have said, mm -hmm. not in a, I know best. Um, there are too many Karens out there who know it all. Okay. <laughs> Don't be a Karen. Or the, whatever the, the male equivalent to it is, um, be someone who has got a really good interest in their body and gets to know their body well. Mm. As a pain physician, I've I wanted my patients to know more about the disease than any doctor on this earth. They needed to be the masters yeah. of their body, and Absolutely. that is that is still something that I strongly subscribe to. If you have got a chronic disease you bloody well get to know that disease, both from a textbook point of view, as well as from your point of view, and then figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. And know what the treatments are available for, or which, which treatments are available for you. Mm -hmm. And then together with your specialist and with your GP, make an informed decision, which path you go, and mm -hmm. what will you try next? Mm -hmm. And so looking at it from that point of view, that's really, really, really important. Too many people that I meet have not gone to the doctor and then ended up at death's door or mm -hmm. dead because yeah. there was something nasty that they just put an ostrich attitude in, a head in the sand, I don't want to know. Uh, so... Yeah. But and 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 I'm really pleased that you went out there. So guys, so just I wanted to to put a bit of a, a framework around uh, around what what Dawn here says. Um, it is uh, get to know your body. I think that's the key message. But get to know your body together with your GP and with your with specialists as they are applicable to your own story out there. Now, having said all that, um, we are already on your transformation. But before that, you came to the painkillers. And when was the first time that you described something stronger? And why were you disrupted? Okay, so that was the first awakening, so to speak, in relationship to how, po how powerful my body was, how powerful my mind was in communicating with my body, how not to give my power away to others and to seek knowledge and understanding of what's going on for me and then bring it in to myself and analyze what's going on and just go this makes sense what the practitioner is saying this makes sense this doesn't and discerning what worked for me and what didn't so that was my first major lesson and that's why I've shared it the second major lesson for me was when I was 11 weeks pregnant I went into renal failure and I went to the hospital and I saw a triage nurse who discharged me and said that I had indigestion. But what was actually happening is it was almost like I was having a heart attack. And what came to light is when I walked out of the hospital and was discharged with indigestion, as I was walking out, I had this knowing and this voice again that said to me, this is really serious. You can't allow them to tell you that there's nothing wrong. You are feeling something serious. I left it for a few days and I went to go see... Um, so I went to the antenatal clinic a couple of days later and I was in the antenatal clinic and I had a doctor that I was talking to and this voice came back again and said, you need to share with her that that was important what happened to you the other day. So I said to her, I said, I feel like I need to share this. I said, I felt like I was having a heart attack the other day, like electric shocks going through my heart. And she said, okay. That's interesting because at that point, they already knew I had a 1.3 centimeter kidney stone lodged in my kidney. 
So I was already at high risk in relationship to the pregnancy because of that. Mm. So she looked at my urine results and saw that my potassium from when she, from all the times that I'd come because of this kidney stone, I was there from week three. So I was going every two, every week actually at that point. And she looked at my urine samples and saw that my potassium was going up and down, up and down, up and down at dangerous levels. So she phoned a professor up and the professor said she needs to be admitted. Mm. She's going to lose a pregnancy because it sounds like she's going through early stages of renal failure. And when they actually looked at it, I was diagnosed then with um, renal tubular acidosis. So that was another autoimmune disease. So this would be my second autoimmune disease that I would be then diagnosed with. So again, it was a combination of me understanding, listening to my body, communicating with my body, listening to what I was receiving, then having a conversation. And yes, again, the same pattern of not being believed, not being heard, not understood came up, but I still stood in my power and addressed it with the doctor who then was like, right, I need to get onto this. Spoke to a professor. He that was like, yep, I'm looking at the results right now. This is dangerous. She's going to lose a pregnancy. We need to get her in. So again, it's working with the people that you are surrounded by, not being the one that's the victim, not being the one that fix me, heal me. It's saying, mm -hmm. you know what? I don't understand what's going on, but I know that something's not right. This is your expertise. I'm coming here and I'm coming to see you. And she called upon another level of expertise Beautiful. in regards to a professor who was a... Beautiful. Well, that's exactly um, how it should kidneys. be. So, yeah, that's exactly. exactly how it should be. Exactly. exactly right. Oh, good. I'm so pleased, uh, especially in your case, because that actually came out of the left field. Um, you have got clearly two different, well, several different things happening in your body there. Yes. Cool. How did that get treated? So basically what happened is, is I was admitted and I was put on a slow dose of antibiotics for the duration of the pregnancy in order to yeah. keep the pregnancy. And what that did is it stopped me going into infections and then I was given um, potassium mm. and I was given some kind of... Um, I can't remember what it was now because it's quite a long time ago. I was given some other medication and basically that was managed through that, but I had to go twice a week mm. for clear to, to test that my kidneys were doing well. Mm. And this is the thing. This disease apparently had been there since I was maybe 13, 14 years of age. And the reason why I can track it back to that is that's when my kidney issues started. Now, it, what was blamed for my kidney issues was all of the medication that I was on whilst I was going through my bowel disease. So I was on 32 tablets a day back then, Stefan, to be able to keep my bowel. I was on 32 tablets a day. Mm -hmm. And the accumulation of all those tablets and the calcium from the steroids created this calcification inside of my kidney, which then they say that created the issue with my right kidney not filtering properly, which with a pregnancy, as you know, mm -hmm. your kidneys... It's a double load. Your kidneys are having to work twice as hard when you're pregnant. So when your kidneys go into renal failure, when you start to fail, the kidneys and the body will go into aborting the pregnancy in order to keep the mother safe. Mm. So in order for me to keep the pregnancy, they had to keep observation of me because it was almost like I was having a heart attack. And when you have kidney issues, I don't know if anybody out there has passed kidney stones or had kidney issues, the pain is horrendous. It's mm. beyond anything that I can even share it's the worst pain i've ever experienced in my life it drops you to your knees to the point that i actually would pass out in pain so when it comes to pain i know it from the age of one through to the last i'd say up to about five years ago i have had chronic pain on different levels i understand pain on a profound level and this is why i teach this this is why i do these podcasts this is why i share my story because i know that maybe people haven't gone through to the extent that I have, but they've had snippets of exactly what I've gone through. Mm. And it's me standing in my power and saying, you know what, no matter how rough it gets, you can create the life that I have where I understand my body, I communicate with my body. I am on nothing. I don't need to take anything for my body because I listened to it. I got the expertise, I got the advice and I listened to it on a profound level mm. and I know exactly what my body needs. And when it's out, of homeostasis, I can understand it clearly when it is. And I don't need to get to that level anymore, but that was my life. I had to understand how to get my body into balance through treacherous experiences. 
I know that's a lot. <laughs> no, 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 no. And it's a beautiful journey. Um, it's it's a horrific journey that you have been on, but it is a journey of awakening. It's a journey of of transformation. And because very clearly right now, you're a very different woman than you were, let's say, even five years ago, because you're yes. rela relating to that. Um, so you had the tubular acidosis, you had the, the Crohn's disease, you had, uh, was it Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis? colitis? My yeah. apologies, ulcerative colitis. Um, it wasn't Crohn's. Yeah, but exactly, exactly. <laughs> so... Um, then the painkiller addiction comes. Are you ready for that one? <laughs> okay, bring it on. I'm ready. Okay, so five and a half months pregnant, I am at work and someone has left the kitchen floor wet and I slip. And as I'm about to fall, I turn and I catch the sink. So there's a right turn and I'm extremely flexible. I'm a flexible person. And my right leg went straight up in the air and I turned at the same time. It would come to light after I had my little boy that I had actually endured 11 serious injuries from that experience. If I'd have just fallen, I'd have been fine, but I didn't. I stopped myself from falling. And in that, I tore multiple ligaments, tendons and damaged nerves. And what happened is... So I went through the pregnancy disabled. So for the rest of the pregnancy, I was disabled. And what happened was I had a very naive doctor who wanted to help me. It came from a place of wanting to help. I want to get this clear. But in that helping, she created an opioid addicted woman who then couldn't cope with life because what would happen is she would feed the victim inside of me and saying, oh, my God, it's so horrific what you're going through. Let me give you more and more and more and more and more and more painkillers. And what would happen on this journey is I was diagnosed. Sorry, I was prescribed when I was five and a half months pregnant, panadine fought, which is lethal in pregnancy. And because the pain was so horrific and horrendous, I was taking up to 10 a day whilst I was pregnant, which is a whole other story which would create um, disability issues in my son. So taking of these, and I didn't realize that, but I looked at the packet afterwards when I was actually going on my self-discovery journey of looking at all the meds and all of the side effects that I would experience in getting myself off all these medications that it actually have long-term effects on my son's brain. Now, thankfully, they are reversible, but it's caused his intellectual level to drop quite a few years, and he can't be schooled. He has to be homeschooled. So that was that issue. But the thing what happened is, is after I had my son, I was told that I'd get better, but I didn't. I got worse, and I got worse, and I got worse. And what would happen is each time I go to my GP, she would want to fix me. She would want to make me better. And in that, all she knew to do was prescribe me more and more drugs. And it would be opioids. And eventually I'd be on 13 pain meds a day, which were lethal because People I had kidney disease. Yeah, I see what you mean. I see what you yeah. mean. Yeah. And I was using... So How first of all, just, just let's get it clear because you're yeah. making strong statements. Um, I want to... I uh, quantify and qualify them yeah. um so was your kidney you had a kidney disease fine were your kidneys actually functioning or was your kidney function reduced my kidney function of my right kidney was reduced at that right point. kidney yes overall yeah. though when you took yeah. the blood tests did they show overall a good kidney function or did they show reduce reduced Reduced. Values. Okay. So kidney, uh, there was some, some kidney impairment. Good. Number one. Number two is the, uh, the, the number of painkillers, the number of tablets means actually bugger all. Depending yeah. upon what painkillers you yeah. use, they come in smaller nominations yeah. and you might actually right. end up with 13 tablets. And that's neither here nor there. May I ask what you had been prescribed? Yeah. So Targin, Lyrica, um, Endon, Tramadol. Norgesic. Good. And again, these are all uh, medications that are used in the management of back pain and neuropathic pain. So pissed off nerve pain. Um, yeah. And actually, 
all of them have their their advantages all of them have their uses all of them have their their sense so what you've described to me there is actually a relatively commonly seen cocktail Mm-hmm. Um, where we try to help you to manage your pain and therefore uh, be able to continue with your life, give mm-hmm. you back the function, stop you being crippled in bed, but maybe still have the pain, but now be able to maybe go to work, maybe look after your child, maybe do those things that you sure. otherwise were not able to do. Yeah, so that's, it came that's, from a good place. Exactly. It came from a good place, what she was doing. Mm. But what would happen is I would move house and go see another GP, and he was, the ter- the word he actually said, I'm disgusted on the amount of meds and the high dosage that you're on mm. with what your history is. Mm. He would then work on weaning me off. And okay. that's, that's and what, yeah. Did that work? I mean, how did you, may I say, what did the painkillers do? Did they allow you to function? No. Okay. Did, was there around the painkillers, was there a contract or was there a specialist who was involved to guide the GP and you with regards to the medications? I had a, I had three specialists. And each one of them turned around and said that you need to see a clinical psych. There's nothing that we can do for you. And just stay on the drugs and let the clinic psych deal with the head medicine is exactly what they said to me. And that was a sports physician who specialised in injuries. And again, here we are, we're coming from doctors who are specializing in a certain field. And with that field, they have got a hammer and they look for anything that is a nail that they can hit. And if they can't hit it with a hammer, then they say, nope, there's nothing wrong with you or it's all in your head kind of a thing. So regrettably, that attitude is there and often speaks more for the helplessness and the the frustration of the doctor who wants to help but can't help with the tools that he has got. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it must be all in your head. Now, let's, let's be very clear. A lot of things are in our head, how yeah. we are coping with it, how we look at a situation, at a, a, a something that happens to us. You can either consider the same disaster a challenge, or you can consider it a catastrophe. Yeah. And to it's still the same catastrophe or the same disaster that happens to you, but just how you deal with it. And we know that this is such a different thing. So therefore, actually, the doctors who said it's in your head and you need to see a psych guy, they were actually 100% right. They were 100% right because you need the help to actually understand and put a framework around the shit that is raining down on you. And not that this is somehow all created in your brain, Mm -hmm. but we want you to 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 see, Okay, this is this is the, the shit sandwich I've been given. Yeah. What do I do now? And so I think from a positive point of view in your story, you had you chose to see doctors, you tried to get the help, uh, you chose different specialists, you worked with your GP, you actually did a hell of a lot of taking action. And unfortunately, the people that saw you at that time were doing their best, but they couldn't come up with a holistic kind of approach with an with an with an overview, uh, with with a kind of stepping back, um, not just looking at the tendon or looking at the stretched nerves that uh, that cause the pain, but actually, you know, what, you know, what else can we do? That's right, and the same would happen with a neurosurgeon. I've had um, two blocks, and one went wrong, and I lost the use of my right leg. So basically, I, I, in my life, I've had to learn how to walk again three times. So it was almost like the um, the doctors would almost make it worse. So, And this is what I want to get across is that it's trial and error. We're scientists of our life. And yeah. sometimes some people come into your life and they'll make it worse. And some people come into your life and they'll make it better. And unfortunately, I had to trial and error a lot of doctors that had big egos and i'm going to say that's the fun they they had big egos the doctors that i saw thought they were god 
And yes, not all doctors, my GPs, they were amazing. They were incredible. They were, you could see mm. that it was coming from their heart and they wanted to help me, but I could see the difference between my GP and the specialist. And the specialist was more about, well, if my tools don't work, it wasn't perhaps go see this person. It was, well, it's your fault. And that's what I noticed. <laughs> it was always back to my fault. Oh, yeah. Oh, now, yeah. the thing is with me is I'm the sort of person who takes a lot of responsibility, and you can hear it throughout my entire story, that I have always taken responsibility. I've never played victim. I'd actually go to the other end of the scale and be a martyr and go, I'll fight through this, I'll get through this, I'll push through this, which doesn't help either. But the thing is with the martyr, she takes action or he takes action and gets things and gets to the root cause of things. So this is what I want to express is just because I had bad experiences with doctors doesn't mean to say that you're not going to find the right person. You've just got to know who is right for you and who isn't and discern that. And I didn't have the ability to do that. And this is what I've learned in my life. This is why I've had to go through these experiences is because yet again, I was giving my power away. I went with the mentality to these three specialists, fix me because I don't know what the hell is going on. I'm fucking addicted to painkillers. I hate my life. I don't want to be here anymore. And mm. all they heard was that they didn't actually see that physically mm. there was an un there was something undiagnosed that was actually causing everything. It wasn't psychological. Mm. And what would happen is I would then go see a physiotherapist who changed my life, okay? And what happened is I walked into his practice and he looked at me and he went, oh my God, no wonder you're in so much pain. I had a dysfunction, SIJ dysfunction. There was a joint in my pelvis that was actually giving away so my legs would give way. And what would happen is the physio that I was seeing before was overloading this joint and it would give way. So he said, the reason why you're in so much pain is it's impinging on the nerve when it's going back in. Your hips are rotating. You're using the wrong muscles. So when I got that diagnosis, then mentally I was able to then go, I have fucking got this. I, know, I knew there was something wrong with me. All these doctors were telling me there was nothing wrong with me, but I knew in my bones there was something wrong with me, but I lost my way, Stefan. I ended up having a nervous breakdown because I believed them. I gave my power away and believed them in that moment that I was making all these symptoms up. I believed that I was the problem. So then I went on this psychological downturn of wanting to end my life. And when I saw this physiotherapist and he told me what was wrong with me and I got myself out of the psychological spin as well, those two together completely changed. And I went back to that 22 year old who was like, I know exactly what I need to do. And what I need is I need your help in this area. I need your help in this area. And I became the CEO again. <laughs> and I needed to go through all these experiences of giving my power away and seeing the wrong doctor after wrong doctor after wrong doctor, wrong diagnosis, to then having a breakdown, to then getting control over my mind, to then seeing this physiotherapist and going, I am the captain of my ship and I have got this and I can get through this and I do need your help and I need your help. I didn't know whose help I needed. Mm. And this is what I want to get across to people. Yes, it's a treacherous journey I've been through, but I am stronger I have so much courage and I hold so much space for people to be able to be as messy as they need to be so they can recalibrate and get back to who they are. Hmm. And I wouldn't be able to do this if I hadn't have been through that. A lot of things that you say are so powerful and so important and so true. I 100% subscribe to what you've been saying. Um, the... Um, I think what you what that day in the physiotherapy was was a catalyst, a catalyst for you to be redirected towards a different journey. And this guy found one problem that was wrong with you and was a functional problem with regards to your SI joint, which is the joint between the pelvis and the spine. And that joint is can be a bitch, no two ways around it. And that certainly can, <laughs> can uh, give you lower back pain typically or pain that goes down towards the knee level or in, indeed 
can cause more, more serious symptoms. It would not cause the colitis. It would not cause. So let's not go now, hey, this caused added renal tubular acidosis, no. et cetera. So let's no, not be, exactly. be, exactly. So let's, let's be clear about that. But it gave you something to work with. And especially since that injury, that uh, near fall that you had, left you stretched and hypermobile and weird in, in all the wrong places, um, I, can, I can see where now a more focused approach that stabilizes the SI joint um, becomes so powerful. So he would probably have worked with your with your uh, muscles in in your bottom um, yeah. that strengthens um, and holds the SI joint better right. and the core muscles. So there was there was this taking action and you growing strong again, yeah. both in your brain as well as in your core. Yeah. Um, and with that, you literally took control of that. But that would have only taken care of the lower back pain and, and to a decree, the pain that is going down to your legs. Mm -hmm. uh, this, if that was the end of the story, no, no way in hell. <laughs> that can't be. It. No. So that was the start of your journey. That's the start so, of my journey, yeah. So what were the next steps then? So basically what happened is, so after the three specialists had turned around and said nothing could be done for me, so I'm rewinding a little bit to the psychological and the journey of that, because they're two separate journeys. The physiotherapist with the physical um, diagnosis did feed into the psychological, but that psychological journey had started before I saw him. Okay, So basically what happened was... When I had the nervous breakdown, I went into the bedroom and I was in the fetal position planning how I could end my life. So I was like, okay, I've got an, and he was 16 months old at that point was my son. And I was like, I've got a 16 month old son. I'm housebound. I can't leave the house. My husband comes on from work at such and such time. When am I going to kill myself? How am I going to do it? Who's going to find me? What's going to have the least ramifications? So I was having this conversation with myself. And what the voices were saying were the voices that were spinning in my head, the words, the thoughts, the beliefs were, you're useless, you're worthless, you're a burden, just fucking end your life, you're disgusting, You, your husband will be better off with you, your son will have a better mother, you're a dreadful mother. It was just horrendous. And what would happen is, once again, that voice, so I've spoken about it, and this is why I'm sharing about this connection with my body and with a higher self, whatever it is, whatever you want to describe it, came through and said, it's not true. And I held on to that voice. And I don't know how long I was in the bedroom for, but I held on to that voice and it just kept saying, it's not true. And the more that I kept saying, it's not true, the other voice just started to dissolve. And I started to go, okay, I've got this. I can bring myself back. Just because they're saying nothing can be done, just because they're saying that I'm disabled, just because they're saying I'm making it up, just because they can't help, doesn't mean to say that I can't get myself out of this. I have stacked enough evidence that when I listen to my body, when I take control, I can get through this. And I know that I will get through this. That is when the physio came into my life. I note that you said it was around about the time when uh, you, when your child was 16 months old. So that's really sort of uh, the postnatal period. And of course, your pregnancy and then the, the time after the pregnancy was overshadowed by all this pain. And mm. it's just this thing. Having said that, uh, there are many women out there who um, develop low mood after their pregnancy and mm -hmm. sometimes fulminant postnatal depression. Do you think that mm. has played a role with hindsight? Um, you know what? I think there were so many things to find that it was such a complex case yeah. that that's why people found it difficult. There was depression. There Absolutely. was depression from isolation. I had nobody. I had mm. nobody. It was me, my husband, and my child. I've got no family here. My husband's family weren't there. We had no support. We did this on our own. Mm. 
So there's depression through isolation. There was anxiety. There's parts of the story that I've not shared. With, there's a lot to this story that I've not shared, which would create PTSD. I didn't get to see my son for nine hours. There was massive separation anxiety from my son's point. And I had PTSD from not knowing if my son was alive for nine hours. So you can imagine what I went through at that point. Because I was deemed disabled, I couldn't get to see my son. My son was put in intensive care and I didn't get to see him for nine hours. There was a massive breakdown of communication at the hospital that no one knew that I even existed. I was just left. I was just left unknown. My husband was with my son thinking that I was taken care of. He was leaving messages, giving updates to the nurses who didn't even know who I was, so the messages weren't getting through. All of my stuff was stolen. All of my baby's clothes were stolen. My bed was given away. So lots of stuff. So this is, there's a lot to this. So there was PTSD, there was anxiety, there was depression, there was the fact that I was disabled. There was the fact that I had no support at all. There was the fact that I was in a lot of pain, mentally, physically, emotionally. There's a lot to this, there's a lot of complex things. And this is why we cannot give our power away to a doctor because this is multiple facets of things that were going on for me. That the only person that could understand what was going on was me. The only person who knew what I'd experienced was me. So therefore I had to be the facilitator of my own life in order to call in the the people and the skills and the education to be able to get myself through this. And this is why I teach people how to heal themselves because it's difficult to find someone who can hold the space for all of that. Not many people have been through all of that in their life. Mm. They haven't. And this is why I believe, honestly, this is why I believe that I went through what I went through. It's almost like I am here to hold the space for people to be able to be the CEO of their life because I know what it's like when you lose complete power. I could not agree more with you with what you have just said. That is, we are such strange people. We, we through our core beliefs and, and all the kind of things that happened to us in the past, we, we have lost our ability to listen to our bodies. We have lost our ability to, to take time out. We are trying to push and push and push alcohol, coffee, whatever it is. We are not dealing with negative emotions. We are not dealing with the messengers from our, our body. Instead, we are doing stupid things and just keep pushing and then wonder when the wheels are coming off. Um, that is uh, with hindsight in my life. That was how I was living. And if I compare then and now, that is so different. So same for you. Five years ago, you were a very, very different woman. And now you are living a life that is probably very, very, very different. Very Tell me, different. how is your life nowadays? What are you doing nowadays? Okay, so, well, I have no symptoms anymore. I'm completely pain-free. There's no sign of disease. I've been in remission for multiple years on the three autoimmune diseases, one we didn't discuss, but that's Hashimoto's for anybody who is experiencing that. And through listening to the body, I've been able to heal myself. And just, I've slowed down. I no longer work for the corporate I have my own business. I've set up pain clinics. I have um, moved from the Blue Mountains to near Byron Bay. We have 85 acres of land. We're self-sufficient and we're off grid. And I homeschool my little boy and it's a joy. We help him be able to learn at the rate that he can because he was suffering as well. Yeah, life is completely different. Like the... the <laughs> Waking up on a morning and not wanting to end your life and waking up on a morning happy and waking up and knowing that there's so much more to life than you could ever imagine. And there are no, there are no boundaries, there are no limits, only the limits that you put on yourself. And life doesn't have to be of suffering. Pain is inevitable. I won't say that there's not going to be painful experiences because learning and growing is painful. Change is painful, but there is no suffering anymore. Suffering no longer exists in my life. My life was complete suffering. Like I've shared with you, it was just suffering after suffering. 
Can I ask? Um, let's let's go into details there because in the UK, I'm sure you didn't have a kitchen garden. And if there was a kitchen garden in Leeds, probably you shouldn't have eaten from it. Let's put it like that, okay? So, <laughs> am I right? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right. Okay. <laughs> so, in in reality, you would have basically your nutrition would have been shit. Um, because that's what a typical English food is. And with that, I'm not referring to the cuisine, which although gets the same uh, the same judgment by me, um, but that's my own taste. <laughs> no, I'm talking about a lot of highly processed foods um, where probably the cardboard that covers the food is more nutritious than actually the stuff that you eat. Um, and unfortunately, that is, that is not just happening in the UK. I'll take the mick out of the UK, but it's happening in Germany, in New Zealand, everywhere. If you go in a supermarket, um, I would say 80, 90% of the stuff in there should not be called food. Um, so therefore, you have completely changed from that towards a lifestyle where you are self-sufficient. And that means very likely, probably less meat than many other people in the past, far more greens, far more vegetables, far more um, things that you can recognize, things that your grand great grandma would have recognized as food, not something that you put in a microwave and take the cellophane off. Would that be correct to say? Absolutely. So we actually don't eat meat. So we stopped eating meat five years ago. Um, minimal, minimal dairy. Um, we grow our own fruits and vegetables. We don't have a microwave. And we create everything. So our house is completely built from materials from the land, all of the wood. Indeed. The, the structure of it and everything. So we predominantly I'd say live 70% off of the land and the other 30% is external supplies that we can't yeah sure and in all fairness not everyone can make that change let's be very clear about that but that does not mean to say that you have to go out and buy your sort of cheerios laden with sugar and e-chemicals that no one can ever pronounce um you can actually um eat something else for breakfast okay yeah. it is your journey it is yours your your duty and your responsibility to not just blame others, but actually take the, a long, hard look in the mirror and say, what are you actually doing to your body? Are you helping it? Mm -hmm. At any one time, you either work on your relapse or you work on getting better. And sure. relapse means both for autoimmune diseases as well as for um, addiction or mental health problems. Mm -hmm. That's a fact, guys. So... To those of you who are who are still in that, uh, I need to go to just that one more doctor who will find that one tablet that will magically get it better. You think again, man um, or girl, because that's not how it works. It's it's taking a long, hard look in the mirror and making one decision at a time. But that decision multiplies with compound interest. So you are maybe choosing from now on to wake up and have a big glass of water. It's the very first thing you do in the morning. Yeah. And then maybe do a bit of stretching and actually tell your body, oh, that feels good. And get to know and feel, oh, okay, that's maybe not so good. So, okay, so you're reconnecting with your body. There's a bit of something happening there and you're actually stretching yourself and you take some deep breaths and things like that. It, it's not magic science. It is actually little things, but they stack up on top of each other. And then you actually eat something that I would call food. Uh, and you don't need to go all out vegetarian, although there are a lot of voices out there who say that there is some benefit to that, mm -hmm. um, that you shouldn't eat anything that has got eyes. Um, so that's, that's one of the sayings. If, if that works for you, that is, that is cool. And if, you, if that fits with your belief system, et cetera, that's cool. Uh, maybe it's not so clever that you have meat for every single <laughs> dish yeah, yeah, yeah exactly and that sure. is something that is the typical german cuisine okay or at least my lifestyle there was meat very everywhere and dairy and eggs and 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 so that was a typical german lifestyle for me mm -hmm. i oh what six eight six years ago now um i came to a point i had stopped drinking i had reinvented myself 
but I still felt tired and down. And I went to a nutritionist, Ben Boren, good man here in New Zealand, love him to bits. Um, and because I had sent patients to him forever. Uh, and now I said, hey, Ben, I want to put my money where my mouth is. I want you to take me apart, check me out from a nutritionist point of view. And we did some quite expensive testing and bloody hell. Um, I turned out to be allergic towards a German breakfast, dairy, egg, gluten. So everything that I would have said, mm, yummy, went down the gurgling. And, and it, was, it was not allergy in the sense of I eat it and I get deadly sick. No, it was just my body would come up with other ways of telling me. I just had never listened to it. So fast forward three months, I had completely stopped these things. I was quite religious about it. Nope. I will have salads and I will have greens and whatever. And, and, but I, I kept uh, eating meat and wow, suddenly old injuries that niggled gone. Um, my energy levels up, um, my hay fever gone. Um, little things like that, where I was basically pouring petrol over my immune system and burning it. I suddenly took all that petrol away and actually my body readjusted itself. And just with that change towards omitting things that were making things worse, I made a huge difference. Then he put me on a handful of, of, of nutraceuticals. And I must say, there's a lot of, a lot of people out there who argue, oh, that's just expensive urine you're producing because it all gets, gets peed out. Well, in reality, you have to realize that certain things are needed in the body. And as an example here in New Zealand, we are poor in selenium and zinc in our, in our soil. Um, so therefore, a hell of a lot of people run around with uh, deficiencies in that. Now, I, with, with having had 25 years of far too much alcohol, guess what? I, was, I had a malnutrition going on. And anyone out there, guys, I dare to say that virtually everyone with, with addiction, that means one in three, one in four people, will have malnutrition. Okay, let's be clear about that. So by actually addressing those things and giving my body what it needed, suddenly my body was turning. In the past, I had quite sweaty feet, stinky feet. Gone, completely gone, which means my the, the, the bacteria on my skin and in my gut completely changed. And I look after these guys nowadays just as much as, as I look after my body. So there are so many things that you have done. So we touched upon the start with yeah. the physiotherapist who taught yeah. you core stability. Um, then we talked about nutrition. We yeah. talked about getting off the rat rise with corporate and mm -hmm. actually looking after yourself. Mm -hmm. Hydration would be somewhere in there. Yeah, um, hydration. So um, mind, yeah. Exactly. Mindfulness. Yes. You would have you would have started exploring active techniques. So what what yeah. what works for you or what works mm -hmm. for the, the the clients of you nowadays? What do you use? So from my from my actual journey, I've learned about a hundred and maybe a hundred and sixty different tools and techniques in relationship to healing mm. yourself. Mm. The ones that I've found that work for people is um, emotional freedom technique. So getting out the emotions, the frustration, the anger, because we have those in our bowel. Mm. So we generally hold anger and frustration in our teeth and nice. in our in our jaw. Yeah. Which has us grind our teeth, which I suffered from that as well, which creates TMJ. And then you have you got issues, so your irritable bowel syndrome, which comes from suppressing emotions. It's not just food. So pushing down guilt, shame, all those and blame emotions. And then we also, I help people with acceptance commitment therapy. And what that does is acceptance commitment therapy is actually being with your body. And instead of saying it's in pain and it's in suffering, is noticing that it's actually sensations. And what are those sensations saying to you? Because your body just wants your attention and an intention of what you want to create together. So if you don't spend time with your body and you're constantly in your head, 
and you're constantly looking at how shit my life is and perpetuating that cycle, your mm. body believes that that's how it is. So it keeps recreating the same chemicals mm. and it keeps recreating the same day, day after day. And if you're not thriving, you're dying. So what you've got to do is you've got to change that language, not only in your mind, but mm. the conversations that you have with your body. If you're not having a conversation with your body and it's your mind that's constantly talking to your body, what you end up creating is chaos. So you have to sit with your body and say, you know what? What is it that you want to eat today? And if my body said that it wanted meat, I'd eat meat. Mm. I don't label myself as a vegetarian per se. Sometimes I'm like, you know what? My body needs fish right now. For mm. some reason, it needs fish. I'm not getting it from the foods that I'm eating. And if I go to a restaurant and there's a dish on there where I'm like, you know what? That looks good. Body is it my mind that's choosing this through greed or do you actually want to eat this? And my body will go, no, you know what? I actually want it. I feel that there's stuff in there that I can pull and I can, I, I can heal on a deeper level. And this is when you talk to the body and communicate at the level that I talk to my body and communicate, mm. you don't actually need to get tests. This is the thing because your body will start to show you foods that it wants. You'll start to crave the foods that it needs not the foods to emotionally help you because we have emotional addiction oh, as well. Oh, so yeah. we become addicted to sweet things because our life is not sweet. So all of this for my own journey that I've been through, I have learned about everything that you can imagine. <laughs> and I, it's got to the point now that I have such a deep connection with my body that I can communicate with other people's body and their body will go, I need this, I need this, I need this. And it's almost like, oh my God, someone is listening to me. Mm. And the body just tells me exactly what's going on, mm. what emotions are trapped, what needs to be released, what foods I need to eat, <laughs> what tests I need to get. Like the body will start mm. to communicate everything. We are so mm. intelligent mm. that we do and not realize. 100%. 100%. And it sounds strange that an anesthetist and a former pain physician and sort of a, a kind of scientific dude nods his head and says, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> because indeed, in my journey of transformation, I have come across healers and I have come across people who do things that are just that I can't explain. Uh, with with science, etc. There is a whole other world out there uh, that works. I had I went to a chiropractor, an osteopath, shall I say? Went to an osteopath, and I was lying there, needed a bit of crank, crank, crick, crick, and and the usual things that an osteopath does. Um, and then suddenly I realized actually he is just sort of standing there, and I felt energy in my in my spine and my lower back, and but there was no hands on. And suddenly my, my pelvis just went boof, as if a, a massive force had sort of just dropped on it. And I thought, what the heck is going on? And then I clicked on it because I had other healing sessions with other people who truly are out there in, 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 as healers. So I, I knew what can happen. And then sort of after that session, I sort of looked at him and said, look, thank you so much. And by the way, how much of your of your practice is actually healing and how much is osteopathy? And he sort of looked at me and thought, uh, about 50-50. <laughs> not that I was that I was complaining. It was just this massive release in my pelvis and towards the probably sacroiliac joint. And it was just, what the heck was that? And it just shows there are certain things that we guys, we guys as in scientific doctors, have difficulties explaining. That does not mean to say that they're not out there, okay? So um, there are people who very much are in tune with their bodies and can do amazing feats. If you take an extreme example, Shaolin monks do amazing things of walking over fire and bending, bending spears that are sitting with the sharp end here. And you think, what the hell? How the hell? You know, but these things are occurring. We can't explain them. Well, if we were just to take the example of your great grandma coming into my house now and seeing that I take food, put it in a box where there's a light and there's a button and I press the button and a minute later it comes out steaming hot. My great grandma would have thought what the, and I don't know which, which language she would have chosen, but she would have been rather amazed. 
Microwaves, no idea. She had no idea about that. Could it not be that there are other things out there that nowadays we have no idea yet about, that maybe we can explore, that maybe we can see in the future? But right now, sometimes it might just be that you need someone who can stand back, look at the whole mess <laughs> that you are, this beautifully uh, imperfect perfectness, uh, perfection that, that you are, and actually say, okay, how can we guide you? How can we help you to make a start and to move forward? I think that is the key thing. If you can find such people in your life, that means that you can start changing. That is when the magic happens. That is when you get reconnected to your body. And indeed, there's this reconnective healing out there where people go specifically into more and more advanced things, advanced mental techniques out there. And it is there's so much waiting for you guys out there. So if you're suffering now, and, and my educated guess is that is why you listen to that interview, take note, there is hope. There is help out there. You probably just haven't, haven't found the sources of which yet. But the past does not equal the future, okay? Right now you've taken the first step that is, makes you no longer a victim, that makes you a survivor. Uh, uh, Dawn, you used earlier the word martyr, Personally, I don't like it too much. I, I use the word uh, sufferer or victim means passive. To survivor yeah. means active. To yeah. thriver, and that's where we are now, um, to this kind of, of, of maturity, evolution of, of you becoming a new human being. And that's an amazing, amazing journey. Guys, come along. I mean, what, what have you got to lose? Hey, you know, if Dawn can get it, if I can get it, well, you know, hey, <laughs> Don, what an amazing journey. What an amazing interview. Um, if people want to get hold of you, if people want to link up with you, where can they go? So there's multiple ways. There's um, I've created a, a six stages ebook, and what that does is it cuts out all of the things that I had to discover decades of research and condenses it. And this is free information, and it gives you questions to understand where you're at. So it's giving power back to you and having you to assess your life. You can access that, which will drop the link. There's also free trainings live and um, recorded, which give you understandings of how you can heal yourself. And that's in a Facebook community. So that's healyourself.dc. Again, we'll drop the link. And that's changed hundreds of lives. I've gone all over the world and shared this information globally. And then you can work with me one-on-one -on -one and Basically, what would happen is I would access your body and your higher self, and together we come up with a plan of how you are going to heal yourself. Because remember, it starts with you. All I do is I access what you can access right now so that you can fast forward rather than waiting 5, 10, 15, 20 years. In one session, it's equivalent to months and months of treatment with most practitioners because we can get straight to the core of it by accessing your body and your mind and your higher self to heal. So yeah, you can book in a session. Absolutely. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> and I just love because I recognize the, the language you're using and I just made my own commitment here that I need to get in touch with a healer that I know and I uh, need to have another session to actually um, just rejiggle my my <laughs> yeah, you're being reminded <laughs> yeah that's right exactly see there's always a reason there always. that is yeah exactly that's i love it i absolutely love it don you're an amazing woman i'm so Thank pleased you. for you that you have uh, changed so dramatically that you can help others nowadays it, it was a pure honor for me to have you on my show thank you so much for coming along Thank you for having me, Stefan. It was an absolute pleasure. Cool. You. And you guys out there, live with passion. Uh, you can do it. Don't give up hope. Yesterday was yesterday. The past does not equal the future. So go out there, live with passion, and look after yourself. Bye.